what the layoffs really demonstrate is the reality of the gaps in business planning on behalf of an organization met with um, things they couldn't expect, anticipate really um, in dynamic economic times. It is not a critique or an assignment of your value or your ability to do work. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Hello, everyone. My name is Rachel Dwyer. I'm a project manager here for Fishbowl, and I run Fishbowl Live. Um, And today we're here with Ronnie Dickerson. She's the founder and CEO of Oh Hey Coach. Um, Like I said, this is her third time on Fishbowl Live, so you can connect with her on Fishbowl Live here, um, or you can connect with her on LinkedIn as well. Um, And then links to her website will be in the event in your meet profile as well, and the whole conversation if you can't stay for the whole thing. Um, Is there anything else, Ronnie, you want to share with the audience before I kick off the conversation? Well, first, always gratitude, Rachel, to you and the entire Fishbowl team for continuing to have such awesome and thoughtful community conversations on this platform. So always start with gratitude is my way. And I just wanted to say that and take a moment to um, say that on behalf of a lot of the folks who are able to benefit from these conversations and be in community with one another in the process. So thank you. And so without further ado, I'm going to kick off the conversation. Um, So The topic of this conversation, we are celebrating the start of Women's History Month, but this is a queer conversation as well. Um, So it is applicable to to everyone. Um, And also, I think, you know, women conversations benefit from everyone listening and not just women. So um, if you're in the room and you're not a woman, this is definitely still an applicable conversation. So please stay. Um, So we're going to kick it off by asking, Ronnie, what does Women's History History Month mean to you? Ah. That's a that's a big question, but I'll simply say this. Whenever we have an opportunity to do so, I believe deeply it's important to shine a light on and elevate the experiences and the realities and the individuals who are often overlooked, underestimated, and in many cases undervalued, particularly when you think about some of our work and career spaces. Now we're not 24 hours past Black History Month in the U.S. at least, And as also a Black woman, this time of year generally gives me a renewed sense of energy and focus and intention. And a month is just not long enough to celebrate women. Um, But I celebrate being a woman. I celebrate being a Black woman during this time. And um, specifically in the actions I take every day beyond that. So Women's History Month is, you know, meant to re-educate Um, and then rededicate, from my opinion. And it's beyond celebration. It's just a necessary moment for us not to just pause, but to consider actions that we can take that will help create more equitable and enjoyable realities for women, um, especially women in the context of work. And it's incredibly important for us to do that when we think about folks who are Um, in our systems who may be systemically marginalized, again, underestimated or underappreciated, surely by the nature of their identity. And that's what it means to me, Rachel. What about you? I don't know how to follow that answer, to be (laughs) be honest. Uh, I think that was a great answer. Um, I, I definitely think it's an interesting time to be a woman. There's been a lot of, you know, 
just laws and different things kind of happening. Um, I do also think there's a lot of positive things happening. Um, I feel like my framework, my kind of mind has been focused on trying to create as many kind of these Women History Month conversations or just like elevating women's voices for this month. So since I do the Fishbowl Live conversations, that's kind of been um, a big focus for me. Um, so I think I, I, my focus is like, just how can we have, hear from more women, kind of hear different experiences and celebrate that. And so that's been my focus, but I really loved your answer <laughs> on, on that. Not, not, I feel like not as I deeply thought out, but, um, you know, always trying to make it a positive month and, and celebrate and support people as I can. Absolutely. Um, so let's kick it off. So this conversation, again, is going to be a queer conversation, so it's for everyone, so stay tuned. Um, but how has the culture of work shifted for women or you as a leader in the last few years, in your Ooh. opinion? I, I've actually taken, taken some time very recently to think about that. Um, this week, this weekend, we'll be coming up on, for me at least, exactly three years since, you know, since the, the life BC before COVID um, that many of us experienced. And I think about the day where uh, travel was restricted and folks were sent home from work and to then enter a portal of a new reality where none of us could have even halfway painted the picture of what the following three years would be. And now we're here. For me personally, the last uh, few, weir- few years have presented themselves um, with a series of questions around what work means to me and what's important for me as I engage in work, right? Um, and the last few years presented the reality that I actually have agency and a choice over that. A choice about where I work and how I work and who I partner with and how I extend that value as well as how I support the people I love. Well, I'm a mother of three children and um, I have a husband, I'm a child of parents who are aging, I'm active in my community and a person who's close with their neighbors and hopefully a pretty good friend too. And so in the context of all the things that life is, the culture of work itself was kind of rubbed up against, now that we're in this, then what's the output? So I've been sorting that. And for me, I had uh, a resorting about the reality that life work harmony was urgent, meaning that the the wheel that many of us were on, let's say BC before COVID, um, wasn't necessarily the most productive and uh, powerful one for us. But you know that's work. And now you know as I look about, as I think about where we are now, I see some of those um, things that weren't so great about work BC start to creep back in as we consider. Um, sorting um, what happens next with how people show up to work. And we think about the economy and reactions on the other side of um, the recession and layoffs and things of that nature that in some cases are another cultural reset and are challenging us um, on our defaults. Uh, When we think about this from a data standpoint, um, recently, uh, McKinseyandLeanin.org, they released their uh, Women in the Workplace report, and it is the largest study of women in corporate America. And it's, you know, they survey over 40,000 employees, and then they ensure that the research is done from an intersectional standpoint where it includes women of color, 
LGBTQ plus women, women with disabilities, and they get an intersectional look at the realities of women in the workplace, um, their accelerants and their barriers. They found a few thematics, and one of them was that more women leaders were leaving their companies, um, and then that created a new pipeline problem. When you think about the gains we've had in terms of making um, space for women in our workspaces, um, understanding what the past, our past several years have had in terms of some of those gains. And for me, I think we're in the middle of figuring out what happens next. What happens to the women who have decided that their workspaces didn't show up for them potentially in the context of not just the pandemic, but a global racial and social justice reckoning that we still are experiencing in some regard, as you think of the outer bands of what happened after we made commitments, what happened after companies have committed to um, pay equity and equality for women. Um, so those are the things that I think folks are still considering. Um, are people, are leaders in the context of work showing up for women? And I think this is what this year and beyond is about as we do a cultural reset, what have we learned over the past three years and who matters and how do we want to support women and folks in the margins in the context of that, Rachel? That's really what I'm sorting to. So you, you kind of mentioned it in your first answer and mentioned how you are a parent. How do you think the last few years have affected you, know, you as a parent? I've seen my coworkers where they've had to struggle on kids' days off and they're working from home or, you know, just kind of the different shifts of having kids at home all day when they had to do like homeschooling. How has that affected kind of your career as a parent in the last few years? Ooh, so I have the interesting perspective though, not a unique perspective of being a parent BC. So before COVID and then <laughs> the time, the now, I don't know if we call it AC after COVID because I feel obviously that's a, a variable term. Um, but now, so I had um, one of my children, actually two of my children before, you know, um, we had this big cultural shift. And so work looked like, you know, life looked like showing up in the morning with my kids, having maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half of hanging out with them, which means getting food ready, getting them dressed, you know, cajoling them to get in a car um, and then, you know, rushing my husband and I to drop off our kiddo at daycare, and then us both, you know, getting to work not too far after nine o'clock so that we can then spend our eight and sometimes eight plus hours, go pick up our kiddo, have a reasonable meal, hop back online, and then do it all again five days a week, right? That was life as a parent, BC. And of course, there's some give there too, with some days working from home, because I, you know, at that time, I had a really awesome employer who um, celebrated parents and parenthood and um, had a great deal of respect for their employees in that regard and, you know, allowed flexibility way before the hybrid work we're talking about now. So it was just the reality. Now, life um, with three children and both parents um, are working from home, it looks so much different in terms of um, how we are managing work because our kids see it. It's up close. As a woman, there have been other things that have started to impact that, I guess, that visibility that I'm conscious of. There was a study by uh, the Journal of uh, Marriage and Family, and the researchers found that parents working remotely, particularly mothers, they significantly in increased the amount of time they spent on what they call supervisory parenting. So it's just like watching their kids as they did activities um, as they worked, right? And I've noticed that I've participated in a great deal of that over the course of the last several years, and more recently, as my kids have gotten older, 
I hear from them about that maybe is not aligned with their expectations of how they want to engage with their parents. And so my my husband and I are sorting what that means for us in terms of our boundaries for work because our kids are noticing. And that's the biggest difference for me is that I, you, you see, they see that we're working more. It seems like we're working more because they see it more versus them never, almost never seeing it when they're home. And, and that to me is something that a lot of folks that I've coached are, are sorting as I'm sorting it too, where, you know, back to my point about life work harmony, like what that means looks a little different now that we have flexibility and the, let's call it the longitudinal impact of that. I don't think we're going to see it just yet, but we're seeing the micro impacts when we hear from our children about how they see work and us in the context of it. And again, that's something I'm sorting now as a mother. One part I, I want to talk about, since you are an ex, you know a leadership coach, executive coach, how have the last few years affected you as a leader, but also with all the leaders that you work with as well, just kind of with the different, um, you know, post-COVID and kind of how that the, the world of work works right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, during, um, during what's called the height of the last couple of years, when it was decided that, hey, we're working from home and um, things are flexible, um, I, I coached a lot of people and women in particular around uh, resetting, you know, what they wanted, what they valued from a career standpoint so that they can create a plan to you know, reset with their workplace, you know, maybe even negotiate new terms of work because their life realities had changed. And sometimes due to caretaking, sometimes due to deciding to move, sometimes due to reaching a point of burnout, um, sometimes due to wanting to make an early exit or retire. And so I spent a, time, a lot of time doing that. Now it's different. I'm coaching a lot of my folks and leaders around rituals, routines, boundaries, and things that they're trying to design because the workplace is moving a lot faster than than they considered it might. And folks are getting back to a reset mode around, again, the way things used to be, because those are some of the norms that some of the most senior leaders are just used to because that's what worked for them. And they want folks to kind of get back to, you know, the olden times. And the reality is the workforce has changed and people have set up their lives and consider themselves in a different light. And so that's changed. So now folks are trying to protect some of the goodness that they found when uh, work didn't have those same expectations and pressures, but they're looking for systems, routines, uh, frameworks to do that within. One of the things that I spend a lot of time with um, some of the C-suite women I coach is asking them a little bit about how much time in their week they spent in control and command mode, which is putting out fires, you know, following up on things that ideally, if they had more capacity, other people could manage versus being in force multiplier mode, which is what they're hired for, to lead, to strategize, to inspire. And a lot of the work that we do is just that finite of creating a better system in their calendar and increasing their capacity and delegating to others so that they can be more of a force multiplier, which staves off burnout, which focuses them towards the work that they're actually being paid for and which lights them up because it's the work they want to be doing. And so I spend more time in that realm now uh, because of all that's happening around us, thinking about return to work, a recessionary climate, um, doing more with less and the like that um, women leaders and all leaders are sorting. So to kind of build on that, you know, how have you seen hybrid or remote work impact either you or, or any of the, you know, the people that you coach and support 
I feel like, you know, leadership right now, it's sometimes it can feel like more like invisible work when people don't see it. How have you kind of handled that or been impacted? Yeah, I, that same study I mentioned earlier, the Lena and, um, and McKinsey Women in the Workplace report, they found that um, only one in 10 women actually want to work mostly on site. And many women point to remote work and hybrid work options as like their top reason for joining or staying with an organization. And that was about flexibility, but it was also about at least them experiencing sometimes fewer microaggressions and higher levels of psychological safety than the experienced versus the times that they were in the office or on site more often. That to me is one of the most important things that I feel can be a bit lost in the context of the discussion we're talking about hybrid, non-hybrid. I think people are talking about collaboration and creativity, um, but they're losing the fact that there are people who have formed the best parts of their career because they have not had to deal with, frankly, the BS. My mom's not on the call. I'm sorry if I offended anyone with an acronym for a curse word, but they haven't had to deal with the BS that happens in the in-between time between work when you're in person. And that is something that, you know, I've experienced specifically um, having a different, more refreshed view about work when I didn't have to deal with that. You know, for me, microaggressions, you know, it's not a funny story, but it's reality. I'm the person that, you know, I have braids one day. You go all can see my beautiful icon and picture. Where I have lovely braids. I have braids now. But other times, if you look, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you see my hair out, beautiful, curly, afro. And there used to be a time where I had to announce to people, like, changing my hair um, next week. So when you see me, just know it'll be different. So I didn't have to spend the first 10 minutes of a meeting uh, discussing and sharing with people how hair is braided. I just want to work, right? And so... Um, that's major. I'll also share, you know, before I, you know, went full-time in my business, I was pregnant in the workplace, um, early in my pregnancy and was working, you know, on Zoom, actually at Zoom and no one knew that I was pregnant. So I didn't have to spend time talking about being pregnant or how I felt if I didn't choose to, or I didn't have to speak about those things with people I didn't feel safe talking to, um, about, um, just not safe, safe in the sense of uh, not knowing what they're going to do with that information um, for me or against me. Um, and that's the general thing that I know people have experienced over the course of their career um, being, you know, you know, put in a category for their decision to be a parent or have a child. You know, being out, not physically on site, allowed me to maximize my time in the workspace and not have to, de again, deal with discussions around my body or parenthood or my decisions or any of those things am on, on the terms of someone else. So you choose your terms. And, you know, so that's a very real experience, but the data also supports, you know, women from a majority standpoint are looking for and expecting from their workspaces. I also really appreciate that part about, um, I also work remotely um, with my puppy, Jameson. <laughs> um, and uh, to me, I just like getting my work done. I'm very productive. I like doing that. And then, you know, you don't have to worry about the rest of it. Like you can get your work done, you make an impact, you connect with who you need to, and then you don't have to worry about any microaggressions or anything like that. Um, so to me, that's, that's also been a, a positive shift in my experience. Absolutely. And I'm for it. More of that. Yes. And I do think it's a bit, you know, it is the challenge where you figure out and something I'm always working on is like, how do you properly talk about the work that you do and explain it and show the impact that you're doing? And I think that's something that probably 
you know, leaders and, and everyone kind of are working on is, you know, sometimes you can do 5,000 things, but how do you relay that back when people aren't seeing you do it and like kind of the impact it has? So yeah, that could be another question. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what advice do you have for people that are working remotely and how do they speak about like, how do you kind of speak on what you're doing and, and show that impact when you're working in that hybrid or remote? This is actually something that I train teams on. I um, have a learning um, experience through my company, Oh Hey Coach. And it's all about how to show up and show out virtually. And it's it goes beyond, uh, you know, maybe some of the standard things that you might think about, like, have your camera on. And that actually isn't one of the things that I have at the top of my list for you to show up and show out. But thinking about virtual connection, it's about recency and frequency. And so I, I tell people um, to do a map of the different touch points they have with the key decision makers in their workspace and their key stakeholders. And just think about how am I spending time with these people? How much time am I spending with them? There's a person who's in this room, uh, Lois Castillo, and we um, did a summit recently and we shared with the individuals in her organization about the concept of outlook equity, meaning looking at your calendar and understanding how you're spending your time and who you're spending your time with and understanding that um, from an inclusion standpoint, the, the standpoint we were talking about, that it reflected your intentions. I say the same with individuals who want to amplify their work and have more visibility. If you can look at your calendar and see that you're spending time with um, your most important stakeholders in a reasonable amount of time, that's what's going to um, provide you with the visibility. It's not those one-time flash in the pan moments right after you did something big. Ideally, your stakeholders are hearing from you on a very frequent basis about the process of you getting to that big moment. As you think about advancing in the workplace, people like to see, you know, the shiny things, but most of the time they want to understand that how you're the type of person who can sort issues and problems and challenges, even if that thing that on the other side isn't shiny, maybe it's a fail, but, you know, people who are promotable, who get the plum assignments and that people can trust are the folks who are able to share their processes and not do it behind the scenes. But that doesn't require that you do it in person. That could be during a one-on-one update and status meeting. That could be, you know, um, a team that I was on, we would send voice memos in our chat, um, in the chat client that we had at the end of the week. And our memos weren't about updates for the team. It was about gratitude and it was about appreciation. It was about highlighting the work of someone else and celebrating them. And we would do that at the close of our week and just give kudos verbally. And it was a team that almost, actually none of the folks worked in the organization when we all actually, most of us actually eventually met. There's still people on that team that I haven't met um, since, you know, leaving that organization, but most of us hadn't uh, met each other ever in life, but it's probably one of the closest teams I ever had a chance to be on because we did those moments where we just had connection, even though we literally never seen each other. And that's what I encourage people to do is to kind of break open the frame of how it used to work and think about, you know, just a clean slate about what connection means to you, and then consider a little bit more about what it could mean for others. So that kind of leads into kind of the next topic we want to talk about, um, of kind of how do you kind of create that connection and, and support. Um, definitely something that I do is I try to like, in our Slack where everyone's in, I'll try to, you know, thank people and kind of publicly show gratitude for something they helped me with or a project or something I thought was really cool. So 
that's just a way that I try to do it publicly when we don't have that kind of the same in-person type work. Kind of to build on that, how have you supported and elevated women in your career? Ooh, I feel like it feels weird to answer that question. It's almost like I, I wish there were some people who could just tell me what worked for you. Um, because I think it's your intentions are one thing, but the impact is more telling. Um, so I can tell you about my intentions for supporting women. And, and maybe in the future, someone will acknowledge impact because that's what matters most. Um, for me, it's it's always been helping women understand the unwritten rules in the workplace, but also being able to pull them aside and make sure they're connected to an ecosystem um, so they have information, a flow of information, um, being able to um, stand beside them in challenging moments, even if it's to be a listening ear or to commiserate or even cry together. And I'm saying cry because that's me. I'm a, I can be a cheery person. I'm not assigning that to other people. But there are some days where you're just like, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. And you have to have a crew to really tap into like that's that's what I like to do. I like to get people together and to connect them in a way that maybe other people who are coaches or folks who do learning don't do. Um, because my main objective is to make sure that people are able to be in the workplace. And although there's are there are lesions, lumps, and les- lessons that we all get, I hope that overwhelmingly it's a good experience. I noticed that for me, when I was coming into the workplace, it was very difficult to you know, find my place. And so as I see, you know, women who are either peers or folks coming up after me um, in their workspace, I always like to just lend myself and say, hey, how can I help? Or even if it's just offering a little piece of advice. Um, I do that all the time in LinkedIn. There's someone's like, I have a question. And again, I've got a house full of children. I've got all these things going on. Um, and I believe in life work harmony. So maybe I won't be able to get on um, a Zoom or a call, but I'll say, hey, what's your question? I'll do a voice memo right back in um, LinkedIn or even sometimes on Instagram. I try to be as available as my uh, space and boundaries allow, but I think that's the start. Um, the other thing is I try to make sure that I clear space for other people, which means that if there's a leadership role, there's a possibility for someone doing something that's going to advance their career, I leverage my currency and extend that currency to others when I can um, and put my name behind people so that they can take up space too. Um, I try to leave places better than I left, which means oftentimes making way for women to have the potential to be in those spaces. But I believe um, there's a phrase, it's like there's enough pie, meaning that everybody's going to eat. So we're not in competition. And so I move in the world with that spirit so that, you know, I never gatekeep an opportunity. I'm always talking about them so that other people who deserve those spaces can take them up. So that's kind of, you know, a great segue into our next topic, because I think something that you hear people talk about often is that because there are fewer women leaders, that sometimes the mentality that there is enough cake for everyone and you want to elevate and support other women in the workplace, sometimes, you know, that gets, I think, a little conflict for people that are trying to move up in their career, um, but maybe are the only woman in the organization, only woman in leadership, um, and sometimes a little difficult. And so I think sometimes, you know, how you feel supporting other women or how you feel about trying to get your career can kind of conflict, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, Obviously, I think there's many amazing woman leaders, um, so don't want that to be confused. But what what advice do you have for women that are kind of maybe conflicted in that space and aren't sure how to 
maybe prioritize also elevating and supporting other women in the workplace? Yeah. So that that's a layered question, Rachel. And I'll try to do it justice because, you know, I think about anytime, you know, I, I, regardless of identity, anytime you're in a posture or a position that doesn't allow you to extend yourself or be open to supporting another person, there's always a root cause. So I start with self, like, what's the reason, you know, have you been you know, in a situation where you were harmed in some way emotionally or someone didn't show up for you, is there something that you've learned about the realities of opportunity? Maybe maybe you come from a scarcity mindset where you don't believe there's more pie. You believe there's only one spot and only one person can get it. Um, you could come from a, a broader scarcity mindset where you're in a space and you just got to make it. So you're going to do what you have to do. You can't think about the next person. Um I will say to that person, um, gratitude and grace multiplies. Um, When what's for you is for you, right? When you think about uh, extending yourself and maybe someone else gets an opportunity or is seen the higher regard, that's okay. What's for you is for you. I will also say um, if there's a root cause issue that you should explore first um, when it comes to that, because, you know, we think about not wanting to have those open arms or support other women. Um, there's something more deeply embedded in that. And I, I'm not going to say what's true or not for you, but I will say there, but if something is true for you right now, would you be open to consider um, that that may not be true in all instances? Maybe all you know people of X identity aren't this way. All women that you work with who are in this position aren't this way. And I would also think about how you want, what you want your legacy of leadership to be. Do you want to be seen as the closed off leader that doesn't make connections, that doesn't support others? Because let me tell you, baby, you rise if you so choose um, to the ranks of any organization, or if you, you know, have a ladder, you turn it sideways and make it a bridge, you're only getting up and over with the momentum um, that's driven by relationships and the help of other people. So it's it's basically working backwards into your detriment, not to extend yourself and be supportive. If anything, the person that you give a nod to acknowledge and support could be the person um, that's a way maker for you for future opportunities. It may not play out immediately, but it could play out over time. And it's just something that you have to consider. So I do have one more question before we kind of talk a little bit more about Um, navigating your career and kind of the current state of the job market a little bit um, as well. Um, But kind of one more question for what we were speaking on earlier is, um, you know, what advice do you have for any women that are dealing with, and not just by other women, but just in general of kind of leadership of maybe they're not being supported at work. Maybe they feel like they're getting passed on um, for promotions. And that's really for anyone, right? If you're in a workplace and you feel like you aren't valued, Maybe it's you don't know how to speak up for, you know, what you're doing or people just oversee you. What are what are kind of some tips you have for people that are trying to um, really show show up at work, but aren't feeling that at work, especially kind of in this remote culture? Yeah, I am um, absolutely a proponent of, you know, gracefully walking away from places that don't serve you. I'm not the proponent, especially in this economy, as of you know, walking away from running from something um, when there um, is friction. That said, that said, 
you have to be careful where you spend your magic and not every place deserves it. And that's okay. It's okay to walk away from a place that is detrimental to your spirit, your mental health, your productivity, your ability to um, be creative, your ability to be strategic. It is perfectly okay. And it absolutely, I know there are people who might be around you, who know you and love you, that expect you to love yourself more and enough to walk away from places who don't you know, respect your magic and definitely from places that don't expect your magic, right? They, you know, underestimate you and maybe that could be a root cause of some of the treatment or overlooking or any number of those things. There are so many places to work where you can, uh, you know, show up and deliver and have an exchange that feels healthy, that feels like there's integrity. Um, so don't get into the loop of, well, I've only been here for six months or, well, typically folks are here for three years and then X, Y, and Z happens. Or if I just, you know, stick it out for five years and then I switch managers and then that's going to be okay. Maybe, maybe, but you have to, and it's a very personal kind of discussion that you have to have with yourself. You have to weigh the cost of the impact of your current scenario on the whole of you, because there's only one you um, and all those things erode you. So you have to weigh your ability to manage that uh, versus the exchange that the organization is offering you for managing it. And is it worth it? For some people are like, okay, this is, you know, some moments that I don't love, um, but I can manage through it for X amount of time. That's okay. For other folks, you may say, you know what, this is my last day of dealing with that. I'm going to figure out how to gracefully maneuver to the next place that celebrates my magic and also expects it, right? At the end of the day, you are in a business exchange with your organizations. They um, have built businesses that do amazing things and they have brought you on to help them advance that objective. At any point, you all can break that business relationship. Okay, your life is greater than that work. Although you could be doing your life's work, you are still in most cases, in a business relationship. And, and I want you to honor yourself first um, if you are having that experience where, where you don't feel supported and definitely when you don't feel respected. So I, I know we have a lot of people that have joined the room that are, and something that we see trending on Fishbowl right now a ton is just, how can you navigate navigate your career right now when I, it's a very unstable market? You know, you're seeing layoffs across the board, you know, how much can you really focus on your own career growth rather than just like stability right now? Um, I think a lot of people are just feeling a lot of anxiety in general. So how have you approached that kind of with your clients? Yeah. First thing I would recommend is finding your practice or your space for calm. Um, We're never going to make our best decisions when we're operating from fight, flight, fear, freeze, and effort. And this completely you know, a dynamic economy, um, particularly driven by recession and then layoffs has got a lot of people in a fear posture. And so my first thing is what things do you need to do, even if it's a calm day or calm moment to be in just a posture where you're more cool, calm, collected, connected, flourish and flowing. And that concept, the red and blue zone is, um, is a concept that Susan Britton, um, who is the uh, master certified coach who runs the academies, um, created to really uh, provide a lens for you understanding a posture that you're in that's driven by like the emotions you're experiencing based on the experiences you're having. 
And the reality is when you're on the other side that's more cool, you're thinking more strategically and more optimistically. And when challenges like a recession and layoffs, you know, come up, you are able to approach them in a way that, well, if the door feels shut, you can find a window to climb through. If that window feels shut, then you can find the next one. So you're coming at decisions more optimistically, which is creating your ability to have four or five options for how you address the challenge, which could look like different organizations you didn't consider. It could look like, hey, I'm going to, you know, rally up these financial resources I have to take an adult gap year. Any number of things could be the possibility that moves you through the season or, or gets you in a place for a career change. And the career change might come after rest too. Um, if you feel like, okay, I cannot get off of this hamster wheel where there's fear. Well, what can you do to get rest? So then you can decide, right? What can you do to woe, to take a woe and then decide would be um, my challenge to you. Lois, is that how you're announcing your name? Do you have a question for Ronnie? Yes. Hey, Lois. Hey, uh, hey, I want to make a statement because I want to, you were looking for some proof points in what you've been doing. I am a living proof that the way you coach and I think you provide us, what I love is you provide a space and you hold us accountable through the emotions and through the transition, which I think when you are transitioning in this career, you need a really great accountability partner. And so that's the proof. The question I want to talk about is when you're going through these seasons, could you t- can you be going through more than one season at a time? Yeah. So Lois, like I could give you a big hug, but the way this is set up, I can't reach you. So I'll give you a virtual verbal hug. Lois is nodding to a framework that I uh, coach people um, using, and it's the five career seasons. And they are your growing season, your sewing season, your glowing season, your woeing season, and your going season. And so, so growing, sewing, glowing, woeing, and going. And woeing is like stopping. Um, when you think about pausing, especially after you've had some challenging career moments and you're deciding to make a change, um, that is often a a through way to any number of things. It could be a through way to uh, recommitting to your organization and having a glowing moment on on the horizon, which could be a promotion, elevation, a new job opportunity. You could um, take a pause and realize that you need to upskill and educate yourself on something which could be a growing season, or you could take a pause and realize what I'm doing is fine, but maybe there's a circumstance I need to change and you start to reinvest and sew into your career, or you could go and say, I'm out of here, peace out. Um, So yes, Lois, you could uh, be managing uh, one or more seasons and they're not linear, but the reality is um, I use that framework so people have Uh, almost like a a GPS for themselves when they think about where they are in their career so they can better kind of dissect how to manage some of the things as they come up um, in friction points as they're considering what they're doing in work. So yes, Lois, you can, you can, uh, you can be woeing, but also growing and you, you could do a few of those things together. um, And they're also not linear. Hope that helps. And thank you. Thank you. I heard the word woeing and that's why I thought I was like, yeah, that's what triggered the question. Thank you. Yeah. Even before hearing the seasons, I was like, that feels like such a deep question. Like, can you be going through multiple seasons as once? And I'm like, I feel that I, I can connect to that even before hearing what they were. Um, so another thing we're, we're seeing kind of trending on Fishbowl 
is career changes. And, you know, it's sometimes right now it's forced career change, right? People are getting laid off. They might have to think about what are they really looking for in their career? Um, do I want to go back to the job I was like, go from, or even just seeing like, you know, maybe I dedicated so many years. Like I saw multiple posts of companies like Google where their people have been there for like 15, 20 years and they were like, go via an email. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people that are going through kind of these career changes and maybe even like, you know, existential crisis, a little bit of like, what is my life? And we're seeing that a lot on Fishbowl. What advice do you have for people like that that are kind of having to make a career change or even thinking, being optimistic, like, you know, because people are getting laid off, maybe I should focus on my career or my like passion project or something like that instead of being in this, you know, corporate America. So we see a lot of conflicting um, conversation on that. But what what are your thoughts? Yes, I'm going to approach this from a couple of angles and hopefully it resonates for any number of people. Um, the first thing is if you are you know, in this live with us in this room and you have been um, impacted by um, any of the layoffs, like I see you, I've heard from um, many folks and have the ability and have the pleasure, I mean, really the privilege of coaching um, quite a few folks through um, the layoffs um, from the major tech organizations as they're sorting what happens next. And, um, and some folks who are not from that ecosystem who have similarly been impacted. So I'm walking right alongside of you all um, in considering um, what your needs might be and how I can show up. Uh, the first thing I would say is this, because another organization, because an organization decided that either your role was eliminated or that you um, would be a part of the layoffs, it doesn't mean that, um, and you know this, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not great at your job. It doesn't mean that you don't have a valuable skill set. It doesn't mean that you weren't killing it, actually. Um, you know, firsthand from some of the um, big organizations, you know, I've, you know, heard and spoke directly to folks affected by layoffs who just got recognition and awards from their organization and then were affected. What the layoffs really demonstrate is the reality of the gaps in business planning on behalf of an organization met with um, things they couldn't expect, anticipate really um, in dynamic economic times and them not being able to see over that hedge. It is not a critique or an assignment of your value or your ability to do work. Now, that said, some of you all who may be impacted say, I know that, but others have felt like I need to throw this entire specific career that I've worked really hard um, to pull together away in lieu of something else um, because of that action. To them, I'd say, take a pause, um, respect your magic and the things that you have done and know that the place that you left isn't the only place where you can express that exact um, skill set via the same role or um, reset to identify another place that could use your, your role and your experience. That said, there are still folks who just said, this is the perfect time for me to rethink work in general. It's the nudge that, you know, allowed me to now have the ability to sort my um, passions and purpose, you know, especially folks who um, have had a reasonable severance that can take them over some time and give them some thinking time. To them, I say, try it, right? Uh, try it. Try and see what it looks like to um, fund your life and fuel your fuel your life in the course of a bit of time through your passions. That said, I am a big promoter of a good old-fashioned job. 
even though I've made a pivot and left um, the corporate space myself, I did it with intention um, and with a lot of trial and maybe a little error there um, that validated me being able to support myself um, and my family in partnership with my husband before I made that leap. Um, And I'm thankful I did that, particularly given the recession we're in, because I can sit in an entrepreneurship seat with a great uh, deal of calm that's not putting me in a frantic moment, like leaving one frying pan and getting into another is not what I did. So I would encourage you to use some time to test some of the things that you want to do within your severance period. See if it's something that, you know, if it's a business or your business model, see if, explore that, get, you know, some really great mentors. And then don't leave the idea of going into an organization off the table. Really, when you get to that calm moment, you're in the place to generate as many options as you can so that the choice is really up to you. You're not being forced into a choice. You have as many options on the table as possible when you decide what you want to do for work. And so I would encourage you um, to consider that route. So my last question before I kind of talk about how people can reach you and connect with you is for anyone on the call that since you focus on executive leadership, what steps do you think people need to take in order to kind of head in that level? Or what do they need to consider if they think that maybe that's, you know, always been their dream? And maybe how do you kind of evaluate that before you think that's actually what you need um, or want? Um, What kind of advice do you have for people that are that are looking to move up in in their role or want to consider it? Yeah, um, I mean, the context of the last question, um, given the 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 realities of organizations may even have people rethinking that, like, do I want to, you know, show up and be in these spaces? First, I would say to people, if you so desire to climb a ladder, um, that ladder is available to you. Um, the biggest advice I'd give you is to get you some possibility models right now, meaning the people who are already doing the thing that you want to do, whether it's five years or 10 years from now, and start to track and watch those people And I don't mean uh, watch them solely based on the organization they're in um, and the title they take on and all those things. Think about, try to see how they move in the world. How are they relating to others, taking care of themselves? How are they using their voice? And think about if that's aligned with with things that you're doing now or if there are some things that you could uh, learn from them. That's the first thing. Um, If you're thinking about the context of moving up in your organization or in your industry, I really think it's about um, at some point your technical ability is 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 done. Like you you get it. You can always be learning, but you know folks will look at you and say, "Okay, this person knows their job; they can do their job." Then it really is about the relationships and building trust and being able to not only have value but to be able to share and project that value for yourself and the organization that you serve in, either whether that's to clients or to customers or whomever is um, the person on the other end of the the product or the experience that your company is is selling. And that's really um, that piece and doing that repeatedly is what gets people um, to rise through the ranks, gets them different opportunities that give them exposure. And it's done over time. I joined my industry um, as an eager intern and then um, rose into the C-suite. 
And that I, there's not one thing I did. It was a series of, of, of things. And some of them like, oof, they left a, a little ugly taste, meaning like I had some challenging clients and experiences. Um, didn't always uh, work with like, you know, all the best people. And though that wasn't for a long time, in most cases. So you have to get over those things and decide um, what your contribution is going to be in the space that you're in. Despite that, that's really what it takes. I know that's very, to me, somewhat vague advice, but there's not like five steps that I can give anyone. It's a series of things and, and deeply rooted in relationships and also in um, how you show up um, beyond your technical skill set and how you can not just dim you how you can project that value in what you do and what you say and and, and how you show up along the way. Love that. Um, and then just do you have any parting words before we talk about how people can connect with you or any last pieces of advice you want to share out before we go to how people can connect with the actor? Yeah, well, it's Women's History Month. We are kicking it off and we've had a robust conversation that has spanned uh, a few uh, levels of topics around supporting women and career development and, and elevation and momentum in your work. What I would say is um, these conversations are amazing because they're thought starters and they're provocateurs, but hopefully provocateurs that allow you to take something, even if it's a jewel, and share it um, with someone um, or to take action on something with the people who are more proximate to you um, so that, you know, either they can learn how to support you better or in some cases you can support them in a more profound way. And this is really what we're doing here. So I appreciate um, just you all um, being here for this type of exchange. And I just hope that it provoked something for you. Love that. All right. So, Ronnie, how can people connect with you um, after this conversation? Yes, um, you can absolutely, you already follow me on, on here, but LinkedIn, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, um, let me know that you were in this fishbowl conversation. I am Ronnie Dickerson Stewart on LinkedIn. Um, you will see a beautiful icon photo with me smiling as a yellow background. You'll know it's me because it says my name. Um, and or you can email me, Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, at ohecoach, which is O-H-H-E-Y-C-O-A-C-H dot com. Um, if there is something that you'd like to pull through in this conversation, if you're looking for coaching or learning experiences in your organization or for you individually, if you're interested in um, group coaching, I have a group coaching cohort called The Collective, which will be opening doors again in late spring and inviting in executives that have at least eight years of experience and are interested in developing life work harmony practices, having more career agency, and defining success on their own terms. If you love this conversation, um, obviously, Rachel said it will be recorded, but also I'm the host of The Career Clinic Podcast. It's on all streaming platforms. And so you can catch up on a great deal of episodes and, and then some of the coaching episodes I have there that will give you a little bit more insight into my um, way of coaching on some really amazing topics that could be provocative for you, including one episode that I have that's called Don't Believe the Quit Your Job Hype, which is pretty provocative um, given the context of all the things that we're doing now. It was recorded a couple of years ago, but I think there's some points that are so timely and relevant. So check it out. All right, Ronnie, I really enjoyed this conversation and kicking off Women's History Month with you. Um, and we look forward to having you on for future conversations. Can't wait, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. 
Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.